Our scripture reading today is from John 5, 1 through 5. If you'd like to follow along in your pew Bibles, this is page 890. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, yes, we'll be looking at all those uh, verses in that chapter, but we'll make it painless as possible. That question, do you want to be healed? Of course, right? Like, why is Jesus even asking that? Unable to walk for 38 years and you're asking this guy, like, do you want to be healed? Like, come on, Jesus. Like, you have no bedside manner. But this is the question that Jesus asked this man who couldn't walk, and it, it just seems like a, a really obvious question this guy would have answered. Just a little bit of background on this pool of Bethesda. There was a, a belief, a tradition, that if you touched the waters when these waters stirred up, that you would be healed of whatever your ailment or disease or whatever blindness, lameness, paralyzed, whatever it was, that uh, you would be healed of that if you were able to get into this water. So the very presence of this man at this pool is an indication enough that, of course, this guy wants to be healed. Otherwise, he wouldn't be at this pool. So why would Jesus ask this really, really obvious question, do you want to be healed? Continuing on in the story in verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going another steps down before me, Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, the man, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. First time this guy has walked in 38 years. Uh, don't know the circumstances behind it. If he was paralyzed at birth or since birth, before he could walk as a baby, maybe he's never walked ever in his life. But it seems to me that he knew how to walk because Jesus said, get up and walk. And so he's learned to walk at some time. So for me, I just kind of look at it as at some point in his life, in his younger years, he became paralyzed uh, because you kind of need to learn how to walk before you just kind of like get up and walk, right? So 38 years later, finally, this guy walks. But it's this healing on the Sabbath that caused a lot of problems for Jesus. And the rest of this chapter hinges on this event. And it's not the healing that caused this controversy. It's the time of the healing 
that caused this controversy. It, it happened on the Sabbath. Now, what I find funny is that there are these Sabbath enforcers here who would monitor the observance of the Sabbath for people. And what I find odd is that it was against the law to break the Sabbath with working. And it seems to me that these guys are actually working. It's kind of like, you know, you're giving tickets out here and you're working and you're just looking for these violations and then you're ticketing people. Well, here is this guy and these Sabbath enforcers are out there and, and they've made up rules and laws upon laws that they had actually 39 categories of how you break the Sabbath. And so they are rules upon rules upon rules, right? So they're looking through their thing like, it's this, he's carrying his bed, and uh, that's it. Um, And so this once paralyzed man committed a Sabbath violation in their eyes. He's, He's carrying his bed. And so the question is, is Jesus encouraging this guy to break Sabbath? Is Jesus encouraging this guy to break a Sabbath commandment? I don't think so. He's not working. He wasn't a professional mover. He's not a bed retailer who's trying to get like financial gain from moving this thing. He's, he's not working, which would be a clear violation of Sabbath. He was just healed and he's taking and rolling up his little bed for the first time in 38 years and there is no Sabbath violation. The Sabbath is to be called a delight, Isaiah 58, verse 13. And this was indeed a delight for Jesus and this once paralyzed man. It's a delight to see this guy healed and walking. And instead of taking a delight in God's goodness and praising God for this miracle, these Sabbath enforcers want to find out who told you to do this. And I think it's just like crazy pills, right? Like, what are you talking about? Why are you not on your knees worshiping God, noticing that this guy, after 38 years, can actually walk? But no, it's not this tribute to a merciful God or a gracious God. These guys want to find out, who told you that? And it's not because they want to find out who God used for such an act of love and kindness, but it is to find out who told you to break the Sabbath in their eyes. When, in fact, I think that these guys are breaking the Sabbath themselves. Now, this is really odd. These Sabbath enforcers, they've completely lost sight about what the Sabbath really is, because what is the Sabbath really about? We automatically think of something like rest, but is it really about rest? Because during that rest, it's something deeper. There's a a praise going on within us, a worship, a love, a joy, a blessing, glorifying God, looking at the grace of God. And so it's deeper than just simply rest. And these Sabbath enforcers don't see any of those things within the Sabbath. They just see these rules. They just see these laws. And they're the ones who are really needing the healing at this pool, not this paralyzed guy. This guy was unable to walk for 38 years. And what you notice about him is that he's carrying his bed, is that he's walking. You know, 38 years of not walking, 38 years of not carrying his bed, and that's what you notice. They're so myopic 
to these man-made 39 categories of breaking the Sabbath that they can't see the miracle happening before him. They only see the rules being broken and not the grace of God at work. Now, reading this story, we can see how ridiculous these Sabbath enforcers are. Now, keep in mind that these are very highly religious people. They were people who took the scriptures very seriously. They knew the scriptures. These weren't your just simply cultural Jews. These were pious Jews who practiced devotion to their religion, and they did that by following what was written in their laws and their rule books, even more than what was actually there, that they created more. And their intent to create more was so that they can follow these scriptures and live this life of devotion But in that way, they just created more rules and more laws for them to follow in a devoted way. And in the process of all of that, they they lose sight of God and they lose sight of themselves. They become preoccupied with what wasn't being done over how God is showing his love, his grace, his mercy, and how he wanted things to be done. Now, This tends to happen to conservative religious people. I'm not talking about politics. I'm just talking about people who like to live in the past, how things used to be and and conserve those ways. This type of thinking tends to be with those people like that, that they lose sight of God when they're so busy managing church life when they're busy managing their own personal Christian life and how they think things should be and how they think things should work and then pointing out how everyone else isn't living up to these standards when oftentimes the ones pointing the fingers aren't living up to their own standards like these Sabbath enforcers who are trying to enforce the Sabbath but I think that they're breaking it. Now we've all encountered people like this. Religious people who come to church and then they're just critical about church. And they start nitpicking at things, at how things are being done wrong. I've had many occurrences of this when people do this at our church, and, and one of them was many years ago where an uh, individual comes in and then he just starts talking about how we're just praying wrong. Like everything about it is wrong. And then the thing that I found funny was I, I never saw this guy pray. And I never saw this guy join people in prayer, but yet nitpicking on everyone else on how they didn't pray right. And so just critical about how others did it when they themselves weren't doing it. Just odd. And so people critical about how we serve breakfast to the homeless community when all they're doing is just talking about it. Right? And I've never seen them out there serving, just being critical about it. I think it's better to serve the homeless over how they're not serving the homeless. No matter how we're doing it, I think that's better than not doing it at all. And this is how the critics of the church and of its ministries often are. A lot of critics who like to talk and they don't do anything, and I prefer to do something rather than just talk about it and do nothing. At least something's being done. So Jesus knew it was the Sabbath. This is not a surprise And he chose to do what he did on the Sabbath when, think about this, he simply could have done it a day earlier. And then none of this controversy would have happened. He could have chosen to do it a day later. And none of the controversy would have happened. But Jesus 
chooses to do it on the Sabbath. He's a trouble rebel rouser. Like he's, he's just causing these issues. But why does he choose the Sabbath? Why does he choose to kind of like point at them? Why does he just pick a fight? Like why is he doing this? And I find it kind of funny. He does this because this gracious healing of the paralyzed man on the Sabbath exposes what's really happening in the hearts of those highly religious, devoted, pious people. And he's wanting to show them something. You see, there wouldn't be any exposure of of their heart or what they were thinking and their toxicity if he healed the men on the day before or the day after. There, There was no way to point that out, that, you know, your hearts are the ones that are really toxic. You guys are the ones that actually need the healing. It's not this guy. I can heal this guy anytime. But in order for me to show it to you, I need to do it on the Sabbath. Otherwise, you guys will just overlook the healing. So I'm going to choose the Sabbath, and we're going to do it then. And then you guys are going to get all worked up, and I need to point something out to you. Verse 16, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. That the father is pouring down these blessings and caring for the people on the Sabbath. So how can it be wrong for Jesus to direct those blessings from God to the people? And when Jesus addressed God as his father, then the religious leaders, they thought they had him. Not only do we have him on the Sabbath, now we also have him as being called equal to the father because he's saying he's the son of God. And so here, verse 18 This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, if Jesus was not doing that, saying he's equal with God the Father, there would be no need for them to persecute him and kill him. They would just let it be, right? But no, they they think we got him. He's saying that he's equal to God and he broke the Sabbath. And so now we can get rid of him. But it does seem kind of extreme, right? Because you would think, why don't they just fine him? Why don't they just imprison him? They are justifying murder? Like That seems like a big jump. So not only are these religious leaders breaking their own Sabbath laws, they are now also murderers. Now what started with what Jesus did Breaking the Sabbath has now escalated to who Jesus said he is, equal to God. And their question in verse 12 is a really good question. Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, if only they followed that question all the way through, Jesus answered them that God is his father. And from verse 19 on, he answers this question for them. Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And so he's describing his relationship with his Father. Things that he heard his Father say, everything Jesus does are things that the Father does. And he and the Father are one. And so Jesus is plainly and clearly laying his own claim to deity. That he's not distinguishing himself 
from God the Father that they work together in this healing of the paralyzed man. Verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, and greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So not only does Jesus heal, he has the authority, he has the power to raise the dead. He has the authority and the power to judge everlasting life. He has the power and the authority over what only God can have. He's equal. He is one with God the Father. The eternal Son is one with the eternal Father. And so Jesus has the authority and the power to determine the everlasting destination of every single person to have ever existed. All time. And our eternal destiny depends on our relationship with Jesus Christ. On our day of resurrection, if we die before the return of Christ, on that final judgment, our eternal destiny hinges completely on our relationship with Jesus. That our relationship now with God is dependent on our relationship with Jesus. Jesus has revealed his glory, has revealed his majesty to us through his word and through witnesses. And we went through all these different witnesses in the first four chapters, and we have a question that needs to be answered today. Do you want to be healed? And who is the man who said to you? Those are two questions we need to answer. And these really important questions tap into this glorious gift and privilege God has given to us. Everlasting life. Everlasting life is tapped into now. It starts now. And to experience the joy of the Lord today, having the confidence of receiving everlasting life and knowing that we, we are accepted by him into his kingdom, trusting the Lord Jesus who died for our sins, resurrecting and conquering death and its sting. And so some may question this authority that Jesus has, just like these Jewish leaders did. In order to establish something as authority, and this is part of our own court system, legal system, you have to have witnesses. And in the Jewish court, in the Jewish legal system, in order to establish authority, you need to establish witnesses. And so according to Deuteronomy 17 and 19, there needs to be two witnesses. Well, Jesus has 
provided many witnesses from chapters 1 through 4, and he's laid these claims, and these witnesses can attest to this claim, and so this is what the Jewish leaders need. You have these claims that you're the Son of God. How do we know? There are no witnesses to this. And so the way that the Jewish leader saw this is you have no witnesses. What you're claiming will be thrown out of court. There's, it's false. You're just speaking of yourself, and that's invalid. So that's disregarded. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Going back to Deuteronomy 17 and 19. There's another one who bears witness about me. I know that testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. And so God brings up the divine. I'm the son of God. God is my father. And so that is one testimony in itself. And then I'm speaking of also John the Baptist, whom you guys know and whom you guys look at as a prophet. And so Jesus is speaking of his father and how God has borne testimony pointing to Jesus as his son. He pointed to God sending John the Baptist, a witness who said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1 verse 29. When John baptized Jesus, John bore witness. John chapter 1 verse 32. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. There are your two witnesses. God himself and John the Baptist. And so Jesus also pointed to the testimony of things that he has done. All those things I did before chapter 5, go talk to any of those guys. I have plenty of witnesses. And in these miracles, his miracles themselves bear witness of the Father sending Jesus, his Son, as well as what he said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, where it was recorded, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Continuing on, verse 36, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness, another witness, about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Now there's also the testimony of all the things Jesus fulfills in prophecy in the Old Testament scriptures. And the scriptures, they spent so much time studying, and yet they can't recognize Jesus right in front of them. They know all these scriptures, and yet they can't see Jesus. They know Isaiah, and they can't see Jesus. He's right there in front of them. And there are these people who knew the Old Testament so well. This is how they were educated back then, was using these Old Testament scriptures. And they had to memorize a lot of these scriptures. And so you can know the Bible really well and still not be saved. Right? You can just read it like a textbook. You can read it just like a piece of literature or poetry, and that will not save you. You can even memorize a lot of it, and you will still not be saved. And all you have to do is look at Satan and look at the demons. They know it so well, they can twist it. And you think that they're saying the right thing, but if you don't know it, then you, you can be deceived. And they know the scriptures very well, and yet they are not saved. Look at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. 
and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. We, we can read the scriptures and miss the whole point. See, the, the scriptures aren't to be studied and read like textbooks. It's not just for information and accumulating information so that you can then just pass a test or answer a question when someone asks you. It is a living word that bears witness about Jesus Christ. And it is a personal Jesus we need to trust to have this everlasting life. So this morning, I do believe Jesus is speaking to you through this living word. And the story starts with this paralyzed man and Jesus asking him, do you want to be healed? Jesus chose to heal this man who was paralyzed for 38 years on the Sabbath when he could have done the day before or the day after. And on the surface, it seems so obvious, of course this guy wants to be healed, but we need to look a little deeper because there are some things to consider. This guy has been living this way for 38 years. And so think about it in your own present condition. When you've been living a certain way for so long, it's scary to change, isn't it? He's going to have to have a new way of life. He's used to begging for 38 years in order to exist, in order to eat, in order to do whatever he needs to do to, to make a living. Now that he can walk and do the things that other people can do, what is he going to do now? And he knew what he was going to do every day for those 38 years. But now, what am I going to do tomorrow? And he had given up hope on anything making him better other than that pool of water. But then here comes Jesus and he's made well right away. And what Jesus pointed out in this man's physical condition is also pointing out the spiritual condition of those Sabbath enforcers. That they need healing. See, we can get so used to being a certain way, living a certain way, thinking a certain way, whether it is a, a physical conditioning or a spiritual conditioning. And then when Jesus shows up, that we just don't recognize him. We're so conditioned to be the way that we are. And you can study the Bible and live this Christian life and still miss Jesus. And the question still remains, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? Who is this man who said to you? Two really important questions for us to answer. Jesus is able to make us stand up spiritually and walk. And there is a lot more to a relationship with Jesus than just reading your Bible and coming to church and going to home groups and doing all the churchy things. He gives us forgiveness. And he promises a new life. That you are a new creation. And for a changed life that heals you of a spiritual paralysis where you can take up your bed and walk, that you can walk with Christ. The man who was healed stood before these religious leaders and essentially asked them the same question, do you want to be healed? In verse 41, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. 
I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is no one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope, or there is one who accuses you, the law. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be saved today? And here's your Bethesda pool moment. It's right before us. Do you want Jesus Christ? And maybe you're uncertain of what will happen tomorrow if you said yes. Just like this paralyzed guy, he's been in this 38 years of life living, and I don't think he realized it until he said yes and he was healed and he took it up and he's walking. He's like, what am I going to do tomorrow? How am I going to get food now? I used to beg for it and now I'm capable and I can do these things. You've been living a certain way for so long that 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 future seems so uncertain and you don't know how you're going to go about moving forward from there. But what will you do if you give yourself unreservedly to Jesus? What will happen? Jesus will take care of that. And you have the testimony of millions who have gone before you who have made this decision. And you can see where they've turned out. There are millions of testimonies that you can see. And so you're spiritually sick, you're spiritually paralyzed, and maybe it has been for a very long time. Maybe not 38 years. And hopefully it won't get there for you. But even if it has been a very long time, it's not too late. That whatever has you in bondage, you can be set free from it with Jesus Christ. Do you want to be healed? And giving yourself to God means this newness of life, that you are a new creation. And, and, and some of you may want help like this paralyzed man. You, you want someone to help you into the water. You want those next steps. You, you, want, you want to see the obstacles in front of you that prevent you from healing. And sometimes Jesus is saying, like, you don't need those steps. You just need me. You don't need someone to help you into the water. You just need to ask me to do it for you, that the waters don't heal you. I'll do it. That you just need Jesus. You just need faith in Jesus, and he can make you well. You may ask, is there another way? Can you help me into the pool another way? Is there another way to get healed? And according to the Bible, there isn't. There is no other way. Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the only way. And I know in our pluralistic world, we don't like hearing this and we don't like even telling this. But if I didn't, you can just prove me wrong by saying John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. So how can you say whatever you're saying? So this is not my opinion. Don't get mad at me. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this. And he is offering a very generous, a very free and gracious gift to you today that he will heal you. 
and he will give you a way to everlasting life. And whatever spiritual sickness you are experiencing in your life, he wants you to trust him with it, that he will say, get up, walk, walk with me. You don't have to deal with that anymore. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your living word. We pray, God, that it pierces the hardest of hearts, that the scales from eyes may be removed, that your Holy Spirit would touch people who do not yet know you, whether in this sanctuary or listening online or in the future when this message is listened to, Lord, that it is not the words that I say, but it is through your living word that you save people. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion together at this time. So if you don't have the communion elements, just raise up your hand and, and we can get that over to you. If anyone is wanting prayer, needing prayer, Mike is in the left front pew. He would be honored to pray with you, especially to talk about this relationship with Christ who offers healing for you. This wafer symbolizing the body of Christ broken for you. And with this, he resurrected also, overcoming death, overcoming that sting, showing us the power and authority that he has over the things that people fear most. We take this in Jesus' name. And the fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ spilled for us. We remember Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. Lord Jesus, these very simple elements of reminder for us that we do all the time so that we just never forget. We, we thank you for the price you paid for the price we should have paid, that you took on our debt so that we can be in fellowship with holy God. God who loves us, who has provided a way for us in the Son. In Jesus' name, amen.